0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this late episode, sorry about this, today we got news from Peru, Argentina, Brazil, Scandinavia, Germany, Hungary, the United States, and a CEO in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist from the history of Portugal. Starting out with Peru, Alberto Fujimori, the former Peruvian dictator, strongman, authoritarian president guy, has been released from jail. He had been serving a 25-year sentence for his involvement in oppressive acts while president of Portugal, but he was released on quote-unquote humanitarian reasons. This was heavily opposed by a lot of pro-democracy forces in Peru and also by inter-American pro-democracy organizations and a lot of lawyers. Fujimori was pictured leaving the jail wearing a, you know, a ventilator uh, on his nose and being quite elderly. Now, the Fujimori family continues to be deeply involved in Peruvian politics, and so his release is partly a success of that particular leading coalition in not exactly neighboring but nearby Argentina Javier Milei has been inaugurated as the president of Argentina Milei has already announced and begun to move towards his radical reorganization of the Argentine economy remember that Milei proposes not just the complete reorganization of the economy but literally dollarization he wants the Argentine peso to be eliminated and for Argentina to move on to functioning with the dollar as its official currency. It would not be the first Latin American country to do this, nor the only Latin American country to do this currently, but it would be the biggest country, uh, I think, in the world that would be operating with the dollar as its official currency, other than, of course, the United States. As a part or sort of like part of the road to dollarization and to the complete reorganization of the Argentine economy in a... Radically pro-capitalist neoliberal direction, or I, I don't know. This is like post-neoliberal. Millet is 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 beyond post-neoliberalism. You know, he's 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 just like um, he's a he's a radical anarcho-capitalist. And so Millet, his his first like basically the first act of his government was that they announced a fifty percent devaluation of the Argentine peso. So currently, the Argentine peso trades on the open market for about. Three hundred and fifty to a dollar, or at least it was right before this announcement. It was about three hundred and fifty pesos to a dollar. It is gonna be one to eight hundred pesos. Now, what this means is that the government of Argentina is saying our currency is so weak that we're just gonna we're just gonna fucking give it away. You know, uh, we are radically reducing how much the peso can buy. Millet is doing this in order to rein in what he considers to be the 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 financial excesses of his country and his government. He is also eliminating a bunch of fuel subsidies. He is eliminating a bunch of old age pension systems. He is eliminating a lot of labor contracts that the government had signed. Basically he is doing away with as much spending as possible. His government has in fact announced a one-year moratorium on certain kinds of spending. This is his attempt to get Argentina to be a a nice place to do business. And the IMF of course, the International Monetary Fund loves this move and thinks that he is moving Argentina in the right direction. Meanwhile, he and his government acknowledge that for a while their policies will produce even worse inflation than Argentines had been living with before. Of course, inflation by suddenly, you know, like suddenly doubling inflation like immediately, right? It's pretty pretty horrifying. Moving on to Brazil, there is rising evidence of Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, rising evidence that he knew about the January 8th attempted coup that occurred earlier this year. Bolsonaro was in the United States at the time, having fled Brazil for the United States ahead of the inauguration of his opponent, Lula, who is the current president of Brazil. Bolsonaro is back in Brazil, and he is looking increasingly like he might actually face some jail time. For his involvement in this coup and also in some money laundering scandals that are, you know, just sort of like, like, like small time criminal type stuff, like smuggling diplomatic unlisted gifts into the United States in order to sell them to people clandestinely in malls in the Miami-Dade area, like ridiculous stuff. Amazing. In Scandinavia, there has been an incredible, and I mean incredible both in size and how good it is, an incredible leak secured by anti-fascist hackers and activists who have hacked into the system of a fascist organization called Midgard. Now, Midgard isn't a fascist paramilitary organization. They're an online store, and Midgard sells fascist paraphernalia. It sells fascist music. It's a record label. You know, it does all that kinds of stuff. And But Midgard was not a particularly informationally secure platform, and so it meant that these anti-fascists were able to find in it information about the names and addresses of people who had purchased their merchandise, and they have published this list. This means that we now know the identities and locations of a bunch more actual neo-Nazis in the United States and also throughout the world. This is only good news. Remember, these people are not like people who maybe got curious about fascism one time because they like went down some YouTube rabbit hole or something. These are the kinds of people who bought like Scandinavian Nazi flags, who bought tickets or bought albums from skinhead bands, right? That's, that's what we're talking about here, like actual true fascist types. Moving on to Germany, there were charges this week for the Reichsburgers. The Reichsburgers were an organization of sort of sovereign citizen type people, but in Germany, who attempted to stage a coup, or at least were like preparing to attempt to stage a coup in Germany last year. These charges are essentially exactly what you'd expect. You know, they're going to go to jail. They attempted to stage a coup. That's just kind of what happens when you attempt to stage a coup. Germany does not uh, fuck around with this kind of stuff. And if you are trying to topple democracy in Germany, people are going to come at you. Finally, in news outside the United States, Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary and strongman authoritarian opponent of democracy and staunch ally of Vladimir Putin, has essentially blocked all European Union aid to Ukraine in the wake of Vladimir Putin's continuing war against Ukraine. Moving on to the United States, the Wisconsin fake electors have admitted that they were lying and basically just trying to steal the election. This is something from back in 2020. In the state of Wisconsin, a group of people claimed to be the real electors. Those are the people who actually go to the Electoral College and actually submit their vote. You know, they were saying like, hey, we're the real electors. And these are these other electors that are going to vote for Joe Biden. They're the fake electors. Now, the actual fake electors, the ones who are going to vote for Donald Trump, have been on trial and they have admitted like, yeah, we were lying. Donald Trump lost that election. We were just trying to steal it. Like, we, you know, yeah, we were just trying to stage a coup is basically what they said. They've come out and said that they've admitted it, uh, that they were lying. This is uh, more dominoes falling in our awareness of how Donald Trump and his allies were trying to steal the 2020 election. However, the big news this week for the attempt to steal the 2020 election isn't from Wisconsin. It's from Georgia. We have now the results from Rudy Giuliani's defamation trial. Giuliani and several other Trump allies and surrogates were engaged in defamation against people who were running the election system in Georgia. And Giuliani has been on trial for this defamation for claiming that that these election workers were the people who were actually stealing the election and shit like that. The determination has been that Giuliani owes these Georgia election officials $150 million, which the man does not have, considering that he has been having to stage fundraisers in order to fund his, you know, legal legal campaigns to not owe these people $150 million. Now, this is going to be quite a serious problem for Giuliani and also for Donald Trump, because Rudy Giuliani is one of his main allies. Basically, their only hope here is to continue to run out the clock against the upcoming 2024 election next year. And speaking of 2024, Donald Trump has been pretty clear that his intentions, if he is elected, um, that his intentions are dictatorial. He is using the word dictator, uh, literally saying day one dictator, like he wants to just like do a bunch of kind of quasi illegal things on his first day. Don't worry, though. He says that it's only going to be the first day that he's going to do stuff like that. Like, that's all. He just wants to do illegal stuff on his first day in office. That's it. Um, He'll stop for sure. 100%. Don't worry about it. That's his claim. Uh, Specifically, one of the things that he wants to do is to send hundreds of thousands of United States soldiers to the border between the United States and Mexico in order to kill people who are attempting to enter the United States without um, legal papers of a certain variety. That's what he wants to do. All right, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week we are talking about Francisco Jalau Preto, the leader of the Portuguese National Syndicalist Movement, who were the largest Portuguese fascist organization prior to World War II. Jalau Preto was born in 1893 in a small city in central Portugal. His family then moved to Lisbon, where he attended school. However, he left school early to leave Portugal for Spain to join up with monarchists who were trying to overthrow the Portuguese Republic these monarchists failed in their effort to overthrow Portugal, and he had to move to first Belgium and then France, where he was working for integralism. Now, integralism is the particular variety of fascism that you see in a lot of Portuguese-speaking countries, namely Portugal and Brazil. It is a particularly Catholic-infused traditionalist fascism. It's not exactly Nazi-oriented, more oriented around Italian fascism, but deeply connected to the legacies and powers of the Catholic Church and its ideas about what traditional society are supposed to be. So it's a fascism that is a little bit more in touch with spiritualism, per se, whereas Nazism is a much more explicitly secular movement, and Italian fascism sort of is too, more or less, whereas uh, Integralism is about, like, you know... The, the, the organic, natural Catholic whole of a country. Like, that's the, that's the idea of, of integralism. Preto worked with other Portuguese right-wingers throughout the 1920s and into the early 1930s after he had returned to Portugal. In 1932, he founded the National Syndicalists of Portugal with some aid from the Nazis and the Italian fascists. The Italian fascists having been in power for about 10 years, the Nazis very newly in power in the early 1930s. The National Syndicalists of Portugal were called the Blue Shirts because of their Blue Shirts. Uh, This is in keeping with the naming conventions of fascist organizations at the time. In the United States, there were the Silver Shirts, there were the Green Shirts in France, the Brown Shirts were the Nazis, the Black Shirts were the Italian fascists, etc., etc., etc. Now, at first, the National Syndicalists, the Blue Shirts, were working with emerging corporatist, that is, sort of like traditionalist dictator, uh, Antonio Salazar, who I have spoken of. Previously in this podcast. However, in the 1930s, Salazar turned away from a potential move towards fascism and instead moved in the direction of a much more sort of mainstream palatable managed conservatism, which outlawed all political organizations basically entirely, right? Like trying to prevent all mass organization, which is the exact opposite of what fascism does. Fascism is not trying to prevent mass organization. Fascism is a mass organization. And so Salazar turned against these potential allies of his, the Portuguese National Syndicalist Movement, and essentially exiled uh, Jalau Preto, who participated in a series of, you know, kind of rebellions, tried to organize a couple uprisings against Salazar. All of these failed. Preto was eventually allowed back into Portugal immediately prior to the outbreak of World War II, having, of course, fled the rest of Europe, trying to get back to then and throughout the entire war, neutral Iberia. He sat out politics for most of the war because, you know, it wasn't really going to go anywhere. After the war, he continued to work against Salazar. Finally, he had become disillusioned with fascism and turned away from the examples that he had followed earlier in his life. Instead, he returned to the original political love of his, a sort of liberal monarchism, which was his political flag up until his death. He actually continued to live in Salazar's Portugal up until the late 1970s, meaning that he actually lived long enough to see the downfall of the Salazar dictatorship, which lasted some 50 years in the Carnation Revolution. And so Preto died of old age, not having seen any justice for his crimes and actually having been honored posthumously for his attempts to support potential democracy against Salazar. So Jalapreto Preto Died of old age, 18th of December, 1977. So, hola we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review of, on whatever it is you're listening to this on, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, share this with friends, family, and comrades. Uh, instead of checking out my Patreon or probably the Patreon of any content provider, instead check out Medicine Sans Frontières, that's Doctors Without Borders, check out the Red Cross or the Red Crescent or the Gaza Children's Fund. I'm running a QA and <coughs> a on the other uh, episodes of my podcast on Tuesdays, and so if you want to submit questions or ask anything else about the podcast, these are questions about fascism and questions about fascist movements throughout history, anything like that. Please get in touch with me. I'm at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. That's spelled out in all one word. I'm on hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at fascism15. And I'm on blue sky at 15 M I N S O F F A S C. That's 15 minutes of fash. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week.